Well, if you would, please open up your Bible, if you haven't already. If you didn't have a Bible with you when you came, take the one out in front of you and um, join us in it. We are in Jonah chapter 1. It's about this far away in the Bible that I'm holding up right here. And if you don't own a Bible, the one that you're taking out in the pew is yours. It's our Easter gift to you. Today is the first Sunday after Easter. And in the church, if you grew up in the church, you've been around the church, you might have noticed that the church follows a different rhythm of life, the church calendar, to remind us that God is overseeing every season that we live. And so we live into the seasons of God, like the 40-day season of Lent that leads us up to Easter, and then the 50-day season of Easter that comes after. And so we remember what is Easter. It is the ultimate story of redemption, of new life, of resurrection, of forgiveness, of grace, and it's true. It's a true story of just how far God is willing to go to bring us back to him. And so what we're going to spend these next several Sundays doing in this brand new series we're calling The Runaway is we are going to read the echoes of this rescue story as it is told generations before through the Old Testament prophet Jonah. How many of you have heard the story of Jonah before? Show of hands. All right, I want you to forget everything you know, <laughs> because there's so much more to this than you probably realize. And so we're going to get started with just the first six verses of Jonah chapter 1, beginning, beginning at verse 1. Let's read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone before below the deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is the story of Jonah about? I think it would be helpful for us to begin with what the story of Jonah is not about. The story of Jonah is not primarily about a prophet named Jonah. And it's not about a message from God, even though in the story is a prophet named Jonah and God does indeed give him a message. But it's actually not about that. It's not about the city of Nineveh, even though that city is a real place and was quite significant at the time of Jonah because it wouldn't be long before Israel, the northern kingdom, Jonah's own nation, would be conquered by a nation known as Assyria. And can you guess what the capital city of Assyria is at this time? It's Nineveh. But that's not important. That's not actually what this is about. And the story of Jonah is not about the one thing that I think all of us think the story of Jonah is about. It's not about a whale. How many of you thought it was about a whale? Show of hands. 
right? It is the most fun part of the story, but if you look at the Hebrew, what you'll see is that the word actually means huge fish, and those of you who are into biology, you know that whales are not fish, but they're mammals, right? And so it probably was not a whale, but that's not actually important either. What I would say Jonah is about, more than any of those other details, is actually a question. And it's a question that's being posed to you and to me and to everyone who reads the story. The question is this, how far can we run from God? How far can we run from God? And maybe even more important than that question is the answer to this question. How far is God in his grace and mercy willing to run to bring us back to him? And the spoiler alert for this whole series is that the answer to that question will make us uncomfortable. God is more forgiving, God is more grace-filled, and God is more willing to go to the places that we would never go than we are. And if you read this story, you'll see that it gets very personal very quickly. Let me show you in just the first three verses. Let me read them again. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for a port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What's the question that we're asking? Say it with me. How far can we run from God. Jonah has a literal answer to that question. You know what it is? 3,000 miles. <laughs> Take a look at the map. There's Nineveh, there's Joppa, that's where he's getting on a ship, and there's Tarshish. In the ancient world, that is literally as far away as somebody could imagine going from one place to the next. And so let's recap. There's only 48 verses in this whole book, just four short chapters. And so let's recap just what we've learned in the first three verses here. God tells Jonah, under no uncertain circumstances, no uncertain terms, he says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah, under no uncertain terms, replies to God, say it with me, no. Have you ever said no to God? I was thinking about this. I was talking to Alyssa, my wife. We have five kids. Oldest is 14. Youngest is 19 months. And so we've been through at least that many of the stages and seasons of parenting. And we've talked in the past about what is the most challenging season to be a parent. And for us, we've, we've learned that for us, it's not been the season when they're infants, when they're real little. Now, that's stressful for sure, but their basic needs, you know, they, they poop, they, they sleep, they eat, all that stuff. You, you can kind of get your head wrapped around meeting those needs. That's, that's pretty basic. The, the most challenging season for us, and I think a lot of parents would agree, is when your children begin to have the ability to reason, <laughs> Because with reasoning comes language, and a, a child's first word, or one of their first words, is almost always what? No, right? And they know exactly what they're saying when they say it, and then you realize that the most challenging aspect of being a parent isn't even when they begin to understand what you're asking, it's when they know what you're asking them to do, and your job is to convince them to actually do it because they don't want to. And I think about myself and my relationship with God, and I read Jonah, and I think, man, how many times 
has the same thing been true for me in my relationship with my heavenly father? How far can we run from God? What does it mean to run from God? It's very simple. It's, it's when God says go this way, I go that way. When, when God says go here, I go there. It's what we call sin. It's saying no to everything God says to say yes to. And, and we've got some, some interesting definitions of sin that we've played with over the last several months here in different series. Sin is a failure to love was one of them, right? Because Jesus said, love God and love others. It all boils down to that. That's what sin is. Sin breaks relationship. If you have broken a relationship with someone else, chances are sin is found somewhere in its midst. It's what breaks our relationship with God. Sin is running in the opposite direction from God and what he says is best for our flourishing because he made us and for the flourishing of those around us and for the flourishing of the world that we have been entrusted to be caretakers of. And I don't know about you, but when I think about my life and my relationship with God, where I almost always get into trouble is not when I don't understand what God has said is my best and what he is calling me to do. Where I get into trouble is when I fully understand what God wants me to do, and I just don't want to do it. Is anybody here like that? Good. <laughs> There's a couple of you here. Uh, I, forgiveness is a good example, right? Like how many times we know we're supposed to forgive and we just don't want to. I, I've given you lots of sermons about forgiveness and how God doesn't say forgive and forget. And sometimes you can't go to the person always. Maybe it's not safe. Maybe they passed away, whatever. But you still have to forgive because when you forgive it, it releases that offense from your shoulders and it places it on the shoulders of God. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, we say it every single week. I understand it, but you know how many times a week I just don't want to do it? <laughs> How about lead us not into temptation? That's another one in the Lord's Prayer. What if, what if I want what's tempting me? <laughs> like, what do you do there? Like, I know I'm not supposed to eat that or buy that or follow that or watch that or indulge in that. I understand that God is calling me away from that. I just want it. It feels like I, I was thinking when I got to this point in my sermon, it's like the Beatles song, Hello, Goodbye. <laughs> Remember some of you? You can sing it if you want. You say, I say, no. you say, I say, go, 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 right? I asked Jennifer at our early service if we could sing that in our traditional service next Sunday. She said no. But I feel like in our relationship with God, it's actually a lot more accurate than we care to admit. And as we get older and as we spiritualize things, we're not like toddlers. We don't just come out before God and tell him no. That's too easy. We make things complicated. Like Jonah, we use our resources to run away, to buy a ticket 3,000 miles from where we know we need to go. Maybe for you it's not a ticket somewhere. Maybe it's you just buy stuff to numb the pain or 
or drink or smoke or constantly change jobs and neighborhoods and relationships or go on vacation and never come back. That's what Jonah has done. He's not going on vacation. He's moving. He thinks that proximity away is going to get him away from God, which brings us back to the question, how far can we run from God? Jonah's running from Nineveh. It's 3,000 miles away from where he wants to go. And before you judge Jonah, I need to tell you a little bit about the city of Nineveh. It could not be more different than Jonah and his people than you could possibly imagine. I don't mean like tomato, tomato. I don't mean like bear fan, packer fan. I mean like these were bitter enemies. They were a real threat to one another. The people of Nineveh were repulsively evil. They tortured their enemies. They tortured other nations. Their economy ran on prostitution and exploitation. It was lawless and horrible. And Jonah was called by God to go there, to the very last place that he would ever dream of going, to a people that he cannot stand. And on top of it, he's being called to go there to be an instrument of God's grace and love and forgiveness to save them. And so what did Jonah say? <laughs> no. And you would say no too. You can understand. It's the capital city of Assyria. I shared that before. They're going to literally take over later on Jonah's country. They're going to rip their people from their homes. They're going to kill members of their own family. And it shows me as I read the story of Jonah that when people are running away from something and indulging in an unhealthy thing instead, whether it's getting on a ship and flying away or drinking or spending or constant change, whatever it might be, it so often causes a storm around them. And if you got to know them a little bit, you might see that underneath what they're running from actually makes a lot of sense. Maybe they're running from grief that's unresolved. Maybe there was a, a deep trauma in their life that they've experienced that they just can't get away from. The problem is that what they're running to is making the problem worse than what they're running from. And so, so Jonah is just like us, isn't he? We all have examples of this in our own lives. And, and so he's called to go to the last place he wants to go because that's where God intends to meet him. And not only that, but he wants to use Jonah to share a message with these people that if they would change their ways and if they would turn away and toward God, that they will be saved. And if they don't, that God will destroy them because the truth is they're destroying themselves. And so what does Jonah say to this wonderful assignment God has given him? No, I would rather them be destroyed. The world would be a better place without people like that. I'm going to Tarshish. And then I, I think to myself, well, that's where this story gets personal too. Just think for a minute, is there a person in your life or a group of people that you would think to, in your heart of hearts, you think, you know, they deserve what they have come into them. They've made poor choices. They have poor beliefs. They have a poor voting record. And so if God is going to destroy those people, that's between them and God. They could be destroyed. But to use me as an instrument of their hope and their peace 
and their forgiveness never. See, I, I told you, this story makes us feel uncomfortable. This story reads you more than you read it because we've all been there. We all have people that we would hate to go to. Hate is the word that I would use. We would never willingly be used by God to go and love and serve and forgive and redeem them. And yet, that's where God calls Jonah. That's where God calls Jonah to go. And the truth is, it's actually also where God often calls you and me to go as well. It's the story of God from the very beginning, right? This is Abraham who was given a great message through the covenant with God that he would be set apart, his people, as a nation to be blessed, to be a blessing, to go into the dark places of the world and draw those people back to God, which for Jonah means that he has to go to the absolute last place that he wants to go because where he doesn't want to go is exactly where God is calling him to be. And he doesn't want to go, and so he runs. And you would run too, and here's what happens next. Verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up and, and the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. These sailors were rough men. They had seen storms before. And so it tells you the significance of this storm. They're throwing things overboard. They're crying out to their gods to save them. But Jonah, verse 5, had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. You know, there's two kinds of sleep when you're overwhelmed. There's the sleep that you need to be rested and there's the sleep that you enter into to run away. Jonah is running away, even in sleeping while the storm is raging around him. Verse 7, the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they casted lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He doesn't tell them his job. <laughs> I'm a prophet. I'm supposed to be going to Nineveh. But he does say I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And I find that last section interesting, right? Like, when did that come up in conversation? Was it when they were handing their ticket to the guy? When they got, what are you, what's taking you to Tarshish? Oh, I've got family there. Oh, I heard the beaches are wonderful there. You know, it's Mediterranean. Oh, I'm running from the Lord who created the sea and everything, right? They already knew, but it all clicked. And they're like, oh my goodness, right? Jonah knows what he's done. They know what Jonah's done. He's running from God. He's running from the one place that he doesn't want to be. And all of it is not just ruining his life, but it's ruining the lives of everybody around him. And I think, well, that speaks personally too, because is that not true for us as well? When we don't go where God is calling us to go, it doesn't just affect us. 
It affects the people around us. Think about forgiveness. If you're, if you're harboring anger inside of you, and you, you haven't dealt with that, does that not affect everyone around you? Relationships don't have anything to do with it. Even the person that cuts you off in traffic becomes a recipient of your resentment because you have not dealt with that thing that God has called you to deal with. This is what happens to all of us. And so the storm is going on around Jonah. It's affecting the people on the ship. And it's gotten so dire that Jonah would rather die then go to where God is calling him to go. And so that's what it says. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into it, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah knows he's running. They know that he's running. And what we see here is a man that is so hurt by past mistakes running from God, fear of where God's calling him into the unknown, that he can't for the life of him face it. He would rather die. And I think, well, that's a place where I can relate to. And then you see the pagan sailors on this ship who themselves become more godly than the prophet Jonah, who in verse 13 it says, did their best to row back to land, but they could not. They tried to save his life, The sea grew wilder than before, and they cried out to the Lord. The pagans are crying out to God, and the prophet is not. And they said, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And say it with me, the raging sea grew calm. Why? Why did the raging sea grow calm when Jonah was thrown into it? Is it because he was this human sacrifice? No, you're going to learn, right? The one part we all know about the story is that Jonah didn't die. Next week is really exciting. He's going to get swallowed by a big fish. And he's going to spend three days in the belly. And in the Hebrew, it's going to say that the belly then vomited him up. And so we know that that's not true. It's not that the sea grew calm because the sea ate up this this crazy sacrifice. What I think the reason is to why the sea grew calm was because Jonah, when he was thrown overboard, in that moment finally stopped running. He stopped running away from the last place he wanted to go, and it was the beginning of the journey to the place that God was calling him to be. He stopped running. And just like real life, there's still going to be three long, dark days in a belly of a fish and a prayer of repentance before he gets spat out onto dry land. But the storm stopped raging as soon as he faced the waters of his fears. And I think that is really good news, isn't it? It is really good news for anybody that's running away from something and facing the storms of life too. Whether God is calling you to be his instrument to save someone else or back to the example of forgiveness, maybe God is calling you to be an instrument of grace and forgiveness in the life of somebody close to you. And that reminded me of of a show that I've really enjoyed over the last few years. It's on Apple TV, Ted Lasso. How many of you, show of hands, 
are, are fans of Ted Lasso. Not too many people. So it's been out for a couple of years, so I'm going to give you a few spoilers. Um, but I'll just give you just the basic premise of the show so you can see the clip I'm about to, to show you. Um, it begins with this woman. Her name's Rebecca, and she just goes through this, this terribly nasty divorce uh, from her now ex-husband, Rupert. Um, he is this very wealthy, very greedy, self-centered, uh, serial adulteress um, man who has just dragged her through the mud in every which way. And, and, and you feel that at the beginning. And so in the divorce, Rebecca fights to take ownership of, of her ex-husband's most prized possession, which is his professional soccer team in London. Remember, he's rich, okay? And so she wins this, and she's now the proud owner of this soccer team in London. And she takes it from him, not just to keep it, but she wants to sabotage it right before his eyes. And so the biggest part of the plan is that she hires a new coach. And he is this seemingly aloof American football coach by the name of Ted Lasso. Ted coaches American college football. He has no idea how European football, soccer, even works. In the first press conference that he's a part of, he refers to the four quarters of soccer. You can laugh if you know soccer, right? We're all Americans. Maybe we're more like Ted Lasso. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know about ties. He doesn't know about any of this. He's, he's fumbling around as an American in London culture. And for months, Rebecca undermines him, leaks stories to the press, does everything she can to make sure that he and the team ends up in demise. And Ted doesn't know any of this is taking place. And meanwhile, you start to get to know Ted, and you realize that as a person, he might not know a whole lot about soccer, but he has got to be one of the most kindest human beings on the face of the planet. He even puts a sign outside of his door of his office there in the locker room that says, Believe. And believe defines him and everything that he does, so much so that when eventually somebody discovers that Rebecca has been undermining him the whole time, they confront her about it and they tell her, you have got to go tell him what you've done wrong. And she has learned that he's a really good guy too and she feels terrible and she does not want to do it and finally she's forced to do it. And in this scene, after several episodes in the first season, she decides, I'm finally going to go and do the last thing that I want to do. And it's this long walk down the hallway from her office down to his office. And you can feel like you've done something horribly wrong to someone, what that feels like to actually go and to confront that situation. You can feel the emotion. And she walks into his office to tell him everything that she's done wrong. And here's how he responds. Let's watch. Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. Then I sabotaged you every chance I've had. I set up the interview with Trent Krim, hoping that he would humiliate you. This club is all that Rupert has ever cared about, and I wanted to destroy it, to cause him as much pain and suffering as he has caused me, and I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just trying to make a difference. 
said I'm so sorry. If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You what? Why? Divorce is hard. It doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer, for heaven's sake. In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> This job you gave me has changed my life. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get. <laughs> you know, I think that if you care about someone and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together, you know what I'm saying? You have a little love in your heart, sentimental. But in the context of Jonah and Easter, I can't help but think to myself, this is where Hollywood's ability to draw us in ends and the spirit and story, the good news of God begins because love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. God is love. And the story of Jonah is that God goes with you wherever you go wherever he's calling you to be. And so I want you to ask yourself, maybe even close your eyes right now. God, am I running from something? Lord God, when, when we ask that question, I, I have to assume that for a lot of us, there were things that came to the forefront of our mind, relationships, Places that we believe that you have been calling us to go and they are the last place that we want to be. We are all Jonah. We all do this. And what the story of Jonah shows us is that life won't be easy no matter which way you go. Life is hard. It's hard when we run away and it's hard if we go. And yet if your promise is to be with us wherever we go, why would we not go to the hard places? Give us the strength to go to the hard places. After all, is that not what Jesus came to do for us? Lord God, you sent your son Jesus to, to fulfill the sign of Jonah by going to the last place he wanted to go. He went into the belly of death, the cross, the grave all so that you and I, all of us, could be exactly where God is calling us to be. Jesus came so that we could be with him forever. And if that's true, then we believe that you are with us now and that you will be with us wherever we go. And so give us the faith to believe this, this gift of your grace 
that we might not just find your presence with us, but that we might be used as your instrument of grace to share your presence and grace and love with the world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.